Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow, and much, much more. I'd like to start by honouring the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. In this week's episode, we speak to Paul Denniston, the founder of Grief Yoga. Paul is certified in Hatha Yoga, Vinyasa Flow, Kundalini Yoga, Laughter Yoga, Restorative Yoga, and Let Your Yoga Dance. Paul's intention with Grief Yoga is to combine wisdom from many different forms of yoga in order to help heal and navigate grief. Paul volunteered for years at one of the largest Los Angeles hospices where he offered heart touch massage to the dying. He teaches grief yoga to bereavement groups, cancer support centers, groups whose loved ones died by suicide, Alzheimer's groups, healing after a breakup, divorce or betrayal, and addiction groups. After the turmoil of the past couple of years, we were grateful to talk to Paul as these practices feel more necessary than ever. We also wanted to speak with him about his new book, Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. It's a great read that contains some simple yet powerful practices. I've been lucky enough to read a copy and I can heartily recommend it. We hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, Paul, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's great to finally get the chance to catch up with you. Uh, perhaps we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me on today. So I grew up in Texas. My father was a Southern Baptist minister. My mama was a Christian school teacher. So I am Texas born, yes, but currently live in California right now. And just reading the introduction to your book when you described your childhood and especially the religious aspects of your childhood where you were told to always be happy and grateful and to pray the sadness away and that anger was ungodly, it really touched my heart reading about that. Would you like to share a little bit about how that shaped your worldview then and maybe how it even fed into the type of the work that you do today? You know, when I was growing up, certainly, you know, for for a young boy growing up, it's like, don't cry. You know, you're not supposed to see those tears. Tears are a form of weakness. Go do something about it. Or nobody wants to see, you know, that part of, of yourself. And the family that I grew up in was, you know, because of the religion, it's like, no, it's it's important to be blessed and grateful. But that didn't resonate for me because being a sensitive kid, I would experience deep sadness or anger. And I think we learn from our parents. And so, you know, my parents, my father specifically, you know, I would see how he would bottle up anger and it would kind of boil and boil like a teapot and then it would explode and it would be frightening for him. It would be frightening for the family. My mother, because she had a hard time with sadness, she she didn't attend her father's funeral and held so much regret about it for her life. And so I, I, I would see how she would isolate 
And so I would do the same thing. I would isolate myself when I was in sadness. As a kid, I was bullied. And so that anger would get suppressed until it would explode. And I would beat up other kids and hurt them. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, you know, this anger is dangerous. I have to, you know, I have to suppress it. And so what would happen for myself then during that time is for sadness, I would uh, try to numb the feelings out by overeating. I was a, a heavy little kid. And for anger, what happened is, is I would turn that anger inside and I was harder on myself than anybody else was. Oh, I'm really feeling for <laughs> you kind of having all of those emotions that are already hard to deal with and hard to navigate and I guess just to be modeled these ways that actually isn't very helpful and can make things worse. And I really loved reading how a lot of your book is about your journey to be with your own emotions and to work with them and to help other people also navigate difficult emotions. And it sounded like discovering yoga was a real turning point for you. Would you like to share a bit about that time in your life? Sure. Also, just uh, going off what you said, how we also judge certain emotions as good and bad, you know, being happy and joyful is good. But yet, you know, being sad or angry could be perceived as bad. So even just how we judge those emotions. I think that as I became older, the way to try to numb them out moved from food to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, any way to try to either run away from the pain or suppress it. And so what was happening for me is, is it created deep anxiety. And so one of the things I was interested in with yoga was I was like, I was looking for a physical practice that could help help me to find peace. And I remember my first time in a yoga class and I saw how I was comparing myself to others. I saw how I was beating myself up for not being <laughs> as good as the others. I noticed uh, like I would feel my body trembling because everything I was trying to hold on inside of me. And I remember the teacher coming over and seeing I was in so much struggle and she shared with me, she's like, you know, you can rest whenever you need to. And that literally brought me to my knees. And I, I had this, this powerful emotional release in the class that guided me to, to more peace. And so the thing I recognized going in there as a student was fine, was in my search of peace, I had to be with and move with everything that I was suppressed inside of me. And so were you also working at a hospice at this time? Would you like to tell us a little bit about that part of your life? Yeah, as I, as I started to move forward, I was as a as a student, as a yoga student, I was getting curious about, you know, where we're holding this pain in my body. And I also at that time period was working with hospice. Uh, I was giving compassionate heart touch to the dying, just being able to be present with them and giving a light space of massage to those who were dying. But also as a yoga student and then becoming a yoga teacher, I started to get very curious about within our body where, where we hold these pla places of, of pain or struggle or grief or anger. 
And I started to create, as I moved into becoming a yoga teacher, ways that we can move through the challenge and the struggle using movement, breath, and sound. I think that one of the things that yoga has taught me is, is the, the importance of being and also doing something. So with, like take, for instance, even as I was working with people in hospice, there was a space of being and honoring the body, even though it's slowly beginning to, as it's slowly dying and, and showing a sense of appreciation and presence with the body. But also then as a yoga teacher, I was becoming curious about, well, how can we perhaps learn to move and channel the struggle and the pain in empowering ways? What are techniques using movement, breath, and sound that can be empowering and liberating to take the pain and move it through? You've actually written some really beautiful passages in your book about that. And if it's okay, I'll read them out now because I really, I was really touched by what you wrote. I decided to create the kind of class that I would want to take, a safe, compassionate container for yoga and movement that honoured grief and anger. What if we gave our grief the space to breathe and also honoured our resilience and courage? What if we used the anger and the grief to help us find more purpose, love and meaning? And that really, I think, sums up what is a beautiful, what is such a beautiful aspect of the yoga practice. And ideally, every yoga class would give us that, that safe, compassionate container to be with all of our emotions and to cultivate our resilience and our courage and our self-love. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about the foundations of grief yoga and how you really work to create this compassionate container? Yeah, well, I I spent so many decades running away from from the pain and the struggle that I was really curious about creating a compassionate space to begin to move with it and through it. And so, as I started, one of the things that I was drawn to first off, the heart of what yoga is about is about compassion. And so, within a compassionate space, how the importance of creating a sacred ritual to honor loss. And sometimes people might be intimidated by the word grief. And my reflection of grief is really love. And so sometimes people will share how grief is love with nowhere to go. And I wanted to give the space for the grief and the love, the space to move. But in doing so, I didn't want to bypass the pain. I wanted to actually, I feel like the pain has a purpose. The pain is information and it can, we can create the space where it's, we channel it through. And so the foundation of what grief yoga is, is it's a blend together of yoga, movement, breath, and sound to take the struggle and the pain, to channel it through, to help connect to more love and empowerment. And so in doing so, what I did was I created this physical practice for us to move through a cycle of compassionate transformation. And in that first step, it's about developing awareness of the breath, awareness of sensations within the body. A lot of the times when we're in struggle or grief, it's easy for us to get stuck up in our head. So to bring the attention into the body, to get curious about where the pain is, 
to begin to gently begin to move the body in safe ways, which will then guide us into a place of expression. And expression is using movement, breath, and sound to channel the pain through in empowering ways. That then leads us into a place of connection. And connection are flowing meditations that help the student to connect to more love, more gratitude, and grace that will then guide the student into a place of surrender. Surrender is a restorative practice that helps us to soften the mind, soften the body, find ways of, of gently beginning to let go. Some, I, I kind of call it holding on to the love, but letting go and finding a space of peace. And then the last step, evolution, is, is now it's a reflection of after this loss, how have I changed? And tapping into techniques with movement, breath, and sound that guide the student towards more perseverance, play, and purpose. Beautiful. And I noticed that you do share some personal stories in your book. Is, is grief yoga more of a therapeutic one-on-one -on -one practice? Or is it more for group classes? Can it be done in both contexts, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a therapeutic aspect to this work because we're going into the emotions. I created this practice too because I have, I have shared this practice to like over 10,000 therapists, counselors, and healthcare professionals from all around the world and all over Australia too. And learning from therapists and counselors and healthcare professionals as they work with their clients where they're feeling stuck. A lot of the times as they're working with people, they'll say, you know, I can see how they're holding on to so much in their body. So these are techniques to use with the body that don't necessarily have to be about words. Sometimes we might have a hard time expressing the guilt, the shame, the regret, the resentments, the hatred. You know, we might have a hard time expressing it with words. So this is a space where it's more about movement, breath, and sound to have that, that release that we're seeking. So when you were writing the book, did you kind of intend it to be a resource for teachers and facilitators and therapists or a direct resource for people who are going through the grieving process themselves or for everyone? You know, in creating the book, one of my clear intentions was to make it where the reader could use it to help with their own struggle, with their own grief and loss. So it's intended for the reader to go through it. Now, as I share this practice, whether it's through teacher trainings or whatever, yoga teachers will absolutely have a plethora of techniques that they all, they, they too can incorporate in their yoga classes. So it's, it's really a combination of both, but for the purposes of the book, it's really meant to be designed for the reader to be able to uh, go through the experience. And so were you thinking about people who maybe didn't have the financial resources or kind of geographical accessibility to be able to in attend an in-person class? Or do you think that there actually is another something special to this being people on their own journey and kind of being their own self-help through this time? 
I think that when we are in a place of struggle, we need as many resources as possible. So in creating the book, it was definitely meant as a resource that and a companion that people can turn to. There's also a lot of online classes that can support the student, and that's at griefyoga.com. But I, I, I think that it's really designed to just support the student wherever they're at and give them the space to, you know, maybe today it's really about I'm holding up a lot of pent up fear and anxiety and it needs to get expressed because I feel like it's being suppressed. And so maybe the chapter that, that would most serve them is expression or perhaps, you know, with the reader, it's just like, you know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling very alone and disconnected during this season and I'm missing my loved one. I feel alone. Perhaps the the chapter might serve them best is going into the chapter of connection, learning techniques that they can embody more compassion towards themselves or flowing meditations towards spirit. So it really meets the reader where they're at. And even though a class sometimes goes through a whole cycle of compassionate transformation, it allows the reader to say, where am I at today and what would best support me today? I think that's a really valuable aspect of the book because it is so open-ended. And just having had some friends who are currently grieving for a baby who died, I know that with this particular friend, sometimes she just doesn't have enough energy to interact with another person. And I know that she probably wouldn't feel like she had capacity to join a group class and to be with other people on some days. So I think it's really great to have those resources in there that are something you can do for yourself that will hope, hopefully help you wherever you're at. And then also more open-ended connection to community aspects as well for when people feel ready for that. Yeah. And, and I actually think there's really no one right way to grieve. Grief is as unique as our fingerprint. And while some people might find healing coming together within a group, others might feel like, no, I need, I need to isolate and be alone. So it allows the, the person to maybe understand what best supports them. And, you know, it, 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 it just gives us a, a resource to, to help us to recognize, yeah, I'm feeling this in my body too. And I got to also just relate here. Grief's exhausting. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's draining. And so part of this work is designed. I mean, even the subtitle of my book is called Transform Loss into Empowerment. Part of this work is for me personally, just going into it as a, as a teacher, it's like I have to like empower the people too in order for them to be able to hold that, that loss, that, that vulnerability, that hurt. So in order for us to do that, these are practices that, that are empowering to hold that sacred space for, for grief or for love to move. Just on a side note, I just sort of wanted to say your, your story of growing up and, you know, experiencing how your parents handled emotion. Um, 
really resonated with me. I think my my father was similar in, in the way that he dealt with his anger uh, quite explosively. And I also found food to be a, a refuge for me. I'm not sure that this is so much a question, but I just sort of wanted to um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we learn from our parents. And, you know, I mean, also, I think sometimes we even have to grieve the, the, the ideal parent that we wish that we had, too. You know, it's like sometimes, ah, I wish my mom would have been better in this way or my father, even if they are alive, sometimes even just grieving the loss of the ideal parent can be an important aspect, too. But I also just want to recognize that, you know, as kids, as children, we didn't ju- <laughs> we didn't judge these emotions. Whether when we were sad, we just we cried, we, and when we were angry, we just had a little temper tantrum and then moved <laughs> through it. And so, I think what happens for us as adults is is that you know we judge these particular emotions, and so we what happens then is is they things can get suppressed inside, creating bitterness and disease. You know, my sister who I dedicated this book to. She passed away from cancer about four years ago. And just as I was taught, you know, hey, you know, boys aren't supposed to cry, you know, go do something about it. She was taught, hey, good girls aren't supposed to be angry. And so I would see how that anger would get suppressed inside of her, whether that manifested into cancer, I don't know, but it's certainly bottled up inside of her. So these are techniques and exercises that I would do with her in her hospital bed to just move some of the pain through. Yeah, I think that we hold on to so much and it just needs the space to be released. I think I I can relate to that too. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with stomach cancer and my stomach was actually removed. And I actually do feel that a big part of that was, I guess, I, I was feeling a lot of anxiety, especially around my work situation. So I think it may, you know, I have no evidence of this, obviously, but I feel like it could have manifested in in an unhealthy way. But I guess uh, another aside, um, in, in the yoga world, sometimes you see almost like an attitude that we're supposed to be above all these emotions. And I'm, I'm just wondering <laughs> if that's something that you've encountered and how you might respond to that. Oh, Lord, I think that's a little bit of crap, (laughs) if I have to be honest. You have to be above it all. Lord have mercy. That that just, you know, look, it's like we're human, right? And we have, you know, human experiences. And in this human experience, these colors, these emotions are part of who we are. I can feel, here's my belief. I believe that happiness and sadness can be friends. I believe that anger and purpose can live together. I I think that guilt and grace can be embodied. So so that space of like you have to be above it all, I think is for me, it's it's a place of where you're trying to bypass the pain. You know, coming from also like what could be considered a new age philosophy is is to be like no i'm going to focus on affirmations no i am i am enough i am i am enough 
you could say that, right? And then deep down you're feeling, but like, I don't feel like I'm enough. I feel like I'm a failure, right? So, so this is the space. And, and I'm not saying that, that we can't move towards those places of, of truth because in my truth, I think that we are enough. Our soul is whole, even if our heart feels broken, but the pain demands expression. And so we can connect to those places of truth, but but let's also not bypass the pain. Let's 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 release it so it doesn't get suppressed. I really see this um, play out online a lot, and I think sometimes, especially people in the yoga world, maybe have a professional facade of affirmation, saying that <laughs> they are enough, and there's definitely a disconnect with how with reality sometimes. And I'm just going to share like one particular example that might be a bit controversial. But, um, sure. This is COVID related. And one teacher posted about, we currently have a regulation in Victoria that if you're not fully vaccinated, you can't attend a public yoga class. And a lot of studios are not following this rule properly and some of them are quite outspoken about it and there's a lot of division within the yoga community. And this teacher was sharing about that and their fear that, you know, this is going to make this bad problem worse, all of these studios not following rules for community safety. And one teacher in particular commented, all this division is within your own heart. If you heal yourself from within, you will see that this is no longer a problem. And it's like, this is a global pandemic. This is a global <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And I have to even identify too that that I recently started to go back to yoga studios because I, I didn't feel comfortable going to it. I was doing yoga all online, but I was very cautious of you know, if I'm going to be practicing this yoga, I have to feel safe. And in order for me to do that, part of the precautions that we're taking right now here in California is, is that you have to show proof of vaccination in order to kind of be in this little safe room and safe container. And, and that was very important for me because I, I recognize that this, this pandemic is real. We, we've just for America itself, have crossed over the threshold of over 800,000 deaths. And so it's something to take seriously. And so it's, it's a global thing. And I think that, that, that we are also experiencing global grief within this too. And, but the thing is, is that within grief, we can all be experiencing different emotions within it too. We can be experiencing anger. We can, all of the above. But I just want to say for me as a student, it's important as a student or as a teacher that we feel safe. And so in this new normal of this pandemic, for, for the vaccinations are helping to prevent more deaths. And so that's what's helping to keep us safe. And so that's important for me personally. Us too, like mm -hmm. runs at a higher risk and we teach a lot of people who have compromised immune systems and it's actually been a source of a lot of anxiety for me personally like what can I do to help to keep our community safe in these uncertain times and to also navigate the different emotions with other people who might have different ideas about that like it's definitely been a big source of emotional turmoil for me 
Yeah, and I think that sometimes all we have control is sometimes over our own self. So, you know, I, how do how how can I I can model how I keep myself safe? You know, through wearing of masks, through you know the what what's what's something that I have control over? I might not have control over the other person, but in this space, I can I have control over how I handle this. Yeah, I think it's a good strategy and at least something to start with. Like, you know, start with self-care and then from there, what can we do for community? I agree. I agree. And I think it's something we're going to be working on for a long time. I don't think this pandemic is is going away anytime soon. It's really about how do we adapt within this new normal. Hey, it's Joe here. If the last couple of years have shown being adaptable and creating autonomy within your yoga business has never been more important. However, creating a website from scratch can be a very expensive and daunting proposition, especially if you combine it with creating a booking system, mailing list, managing online payments and sending out Zoom links for all of your online classes. I did a lot of research to find the best value and easiest to use package, which also supported tiered pricing, donation-based classes, and was accessible for new teachers who maybe weren't super comfortable with technology. We recommend Offering Tree, and we're now Offering Tree Ambassadors. Use our link, which we'll put in the show notes, to get one month free or 15% off your annual plan. The essential plan's only $22 US per month and includes everything that you need as a new teacher building your yoga business. And now back to our conversation with Paul. It's actually one of the reasons why we're both really looking forward to speaking to you because all of these emotions, grief and anger and sadness are just a part of our everyday reality, much more so than, you know, previously it might be a personal loss, but this is like a global loss and... Yeah, I thought, you know, it could be the loss of I thought I was going to be traveling more. The loss mm-hmm. could happen of I thought I was going to be able to have a wedding and I wasn't be able to to have it. The loss could actually be I got COVID and the loss of taste or smell. The loss can happen of, oh, my body's not working as well as it used to when I was younger. The loss can be of a relationship. I mean, we certainly experience grief and loss when a loved one dies or a pet dies, but you know we can also experience grief and loss from a relationship or betrayal from a friendship. So just as grief is as unique as our fingerprint, it can be the same thing with with just anything. It could be the loss of 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 our our home. So it's really about. I think that that grief is our teacher that helps us to witness and see what's important in our life. And sometimes we might not really realize it until it's gone. Mm -hmm. And I guess we've touched on this a little bit, but what are some common ideas around grief that you don't think are helpful for many people? I think when you respond to someone with saying, you know, at least, uh, you know, oh, at least your loved one is no longer in pain. At least your loved one is in heaven or whatever. When you're saying at least to someone, you're minimizing their grief and loss. Instead, I think what can be very powerful is is to just to sit and to listen. And if you don't necessarily have the words to say, you can even just say that. Say, I, I, I don't know what this is like, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. If you ever 
need to process. I, I, I'm really good at listening. One of my biggest lessons, you know, within grief and loss, especially coming from a man, was I had a tendency to feel like, let me fix the problem. You know, what can I do? It, it could have been to try to like put a positive light on it, or it could have been, what can I do to, to help it? And the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is, is like just your presence and being with the person without trying to fix them can actually be the most powerful thing to do. Mm-hmm. I guess that reminds me of a, a story. Short, shortly after I lost my stomach, we were having lunch with a friend and um, I, I guess I was complaining <laughs> at the time and my friend said, oh, you should be grateful to be alive, and which is true. And I do feel that now, but I think at the time it, it wasn't really what I wanted to hear. But I'm, I'm, I hate the word should, though, yeah. too. It's like, it's like, stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I guess I'm just wondering what your attitude is around gratitude practices because I feel like, yes, they are useful, but in some cases, people might not be ready for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's why the expression part is important because they might not be ready for gratitude because they're still holding on to pain. And so in that space, it wouldn't be about focusing it on gratitude, but instead letting the the pain be expressed. Now, I mean, I, I do think, I, I recognize how gratitude can improve your physical and mental health, that space of gratitude can lift your spirit. But in order for us to really allow that to happen, don't bypass the pain. Let that be expressed first. I think that's really helpful. And I can imagine, well, I know that the people you are working with will be dealing with some very intense and very raw emotions within the sessions. Do you have some techniques that people can use to self-regulate if it does get too much? Or do you kind of build in language and sequencing so that people can, I guess, keep themselves safe if it's too intense? Totally, totally. Let me share with you three resources that can help you when you're feel when and if you're feeling triggered now this is these are resources that i share with people who are either students in my classes this is can be resources if you're a yoga teacher that can help ground the class when needed or if you're just out in society and you're feeling triggered by something these are three resources that can support you there the first one is foundation get grounded really focus on where you're touching the earth, whether it's your feet, whether I feel my sit bones in my chair right now. A lot of the times when we start to become overwhelmed, we get in our head and get the anxiety and the fear. So the first step is is to focus on being grounded, even just to reflect on a tree. You know, a tree has to weather many storms. And in order for that tree to support it, it has to have strong roots. So even just maybe even saying to yourself, root, and notice where you're touching the earth can help you to feel that support. The second resource that I would guide you to is, is to place your hands on your stomach. 
So this is a place where you're connecting to your core and it's allowing that space of, of balancing to find the space of centeredness. Sometimes even if I am feeling overwhelmed in a public space or stuff, I will literally bring my hands right to my stomach and my core just to find that space of centering. And then the third resource I would guide them to is the breath. The breath, that life force energy to just begin to notice and observe the breath. If your hands are even at your core, even notice and try to breathe all the way down into your belly. And as you exhale, observe the belly contract with air. If you're thinking of like when someone is overwhelmed, sometimes I even visualize it like they're out to sea and the waves are 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 overwhelming and they're just trying to grasp to to stay up and to stay alive. And so these resources of foundation, core and breath are literally like it's a little bit of a, a life support system that they can grab onto and connect to to help them to center themselves and then to start to notice of other things that can support them. Oh, you know, I see there's land over there. Let me go there. Or, oh, I have a friend that I can reach out to. Let me reach out to that person. So in that moment, wherever you're at, focus on the foundation, focus on your core and notice your breath. And... Many of us, and I'm sure you too, have had to stop teaching in person for periods of time due to COVID and have moved to teaching online. How have you found these types of, I guess the energetic strategies will always work because that's someone's internal experience, but your own connection to people through a screen rather than in the room where often it's just a lot more immediate and natural have you had to kind of change your teaching strategies at all and your ways of being with someone, having had that filter of the internet between the two of you? Right. Yeah. You know, when I first started doing this, teaching it online, I just was like, oh, this is not going to work. You need, you need that sense of community and support. And then once COVID hit and I started teaching online, I actually was like, oh, this actually works well online. And the reason being is, is that people can create that sacred space within their own home to have that, that, that little sacred space. I think that as a teacher, one of the things that I have learned how to do is, is you know, to create a sense of intimacy is, is that there are times where I would just go back to my yoga mat and I would demo the posture but then there would be also times where I would come up to the video screen so they, you know, and be able to kind of like see how people are doing and find that space of connection with me and then go back and forth. So that's one of the ways that I have, uh, I have done it. Both as a student, as a teacher, one of the things that I invite people to do too is, is that to say, you know, if you want to have your video screen off, you're welcome to do that. Sometimes having that space of privacy can be something that could be really helpful. So, you know, really empowering the person to, to be and to, to create the space of what best serves them and to just recognize, hey, I'm just your guide here. And, you know, if you want to lay down and just rest throughout this entire class, I fully support that. And uh, just say, but if you're holding on to a lot of pain, I'll be your guide here and I'll just give you the compassionate space to move through it. 
I think one other bonus of an online class is it just takes away that barrier of having to leave the house or even, you know, you can be in your pajamas. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that having that space, you know, in my own room and setting up that space is very helpful for me. So you don't have to take a shower. You could be in your pajamas and you don't have to leave the house at all. So yeah, there's many benefits to it. And so a lot of what you're working with is really a intersection between yoga and I guess therapy. And let's have a little bit of a kind of discussion about navigating those two realms that often intersect and like what falls into the scope of practice for the yoga teacher or the yoga therapist or the therapist, because I imagine there's a lot of ethics that come into it depending on your own level of training and experience and what you feel equipped to handle. And then sometimes you'll just be thrown into a deep end with someone else and things will come up that you weren't expecting and navigating that. It's a much bigger dimension than just working with movement and breath in a physical sense. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, within these particular classes, you know, I, I, I train teachers, you know, I have a grief yoga teacher training that I do that can be specific for this type of training. But just as a yoga teacher in general, each student that comes into their class is dealing with their own struggle. It could be something, it could be loss, it could be anxiety, it could be a plethora of things. And so I think for the yoga teacher to recognize, you know, hey, whatever you're feeling and you're going through, just allow yourself to be with it and to move with it. For a class that's happening in person, one of the things that I suggest is, is that if someone, if, if a fellow student is having a release, there can be a tendency to want to try to like comfort them or touch them. And so, in an in-person class scenario, I say, you know, please don't touch anybody. If someone is having a release of emotion, let them be with it and experience it. You, you're welcome to put a, a box of tissues beside them. But one of the things that I invite the person to do is, is but don't abandon yourself. You know, obviously, the fellow student beside you is having a strong reaction here get back into your body. How is their reaction affecting me here? And start to to not abandon themselves, but to get themselves centered. Also, one of the reasonings behind that is, is that for a person who might want to touch another person, it's really coming from a, a good place. You want to you help the other person. But what can also happen is, is by going over and touching another person, then it be, it disrupts the natural flow of what that person was going through. Uh, p- placing a hand on a person who's crying, might they might then go, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to be crying right now, or it shifts it when we're just wanting to have the emotion to move through. And so that's one of the reasons why it's best for the student to not touch another person. And I think something that's coming up for me hearing you talk about this as well is it's like, is that coming from their own discomfort because it's making them uncomfortable to be next to someone else's raw emotion and they want to help or fix or just (laughs) change that situation so that they're not in that uncomfortable place within themselves? 
That is correct. They're uncomfortable with that emotion and witnessing it and seeing it. And so then they go into a place of, let me fix this. And the person doesn't need to be fixed. They are having an experience. They're, they're, they're having a release of grief. They're having a release of an emotion. And so they don't need to be fixed. They just, they just need to allow the emotion to move through. And so if you're in that space of discomfort about it, can you sit in that space of discomfort? Can you begin to get curious about where is this in my body? What reaction am I having? Tend to yourself in that space of discomfort. I think that's really powerful advice for so many situations. Right. And this is a this is a yoga teacher question and something that has come up for me. So say you know that a student has had a death really close to them, like a partner or a child, and it's their first class back. What is a helpful way to welcome them back without making them feel like their centre of attention or even putting a burden on them to share, but still respectfully acknowledging their loss, like not acting like nothing's happened? I know that how are you can be a really obnoxious question when grief is still very raw. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that you can just check in, you can just first acknowledge them and thank them for showing up. And you can begin to, instead of saying maybe, how are you? You can just be something specific like, how are you today? To kind of bring it into just this moment. That can be a helpful thing. If, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to bring up the loss because I don't want to like, put them in a bad place. But a lot of the times, if, if someone has experienced uh, a death and a loss, they actually appreciate you acknowledging it. They appreciate you reflecting on it because so many times people don't. So, you know, if you know perhaps the child's name, you can, you know, you can say to them, hey, if you want to, you know, like take, for instance, my stepson, David, passed away. And so if I were coming in there and feeling really depressed or low and stuff like that, if the teacher might have said, hey, you know, how are you, how are you today? And I would express it, you know, if the teacher might say, you know, if you want to dedicate this practice to David, you're welcome to do that. And also, I just want you to know that if you're ever feeling overwhelmed, you can come into child's pose and be there the whole time. You can lie on your back the whole time. Just just please know that whatever will support you, honor that. And I know that I'm just sending you love during this class. I think that's a really beautiful message and also quite practical to kind of set up that framework at the beginning that whatever they need is okay. They don't need to like follow the flow of the class or I guess, even complete the whole class if that's where they're at today, you know, if they need to kind of leave and be on their own. And I do remember doing a trauma-informed training and one of the things that they set up at the beginning of that training was a little signal to be like, I'm leaving, I don't need anyone to come help me or I'm leaving, come check on me in 15 minutes if I haven't come back or I actually need someone to go out with me now. So I don't know if that's actually practical in a group class where you're the only teacher, but I really appreciated that level of foresight in that training where we were definitely going to be going through some kind of raw stuff to just have that framework of this is what I might need to feel okay and I can send a signal to you without words. Right. I, I think that's great. I also have it where when I'm 
doing it that that I have support as a teacher there too, whether it's someone in person or someone online that can kind of like check in and make sure, you know, if 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 someone needs, you know, if someone needs support that they're there. You know, I also remember this experience that I had as I was going into it that I had a, a student who left about about, you know, a little halfway into the class we started to move into techniques that really released anger and guilt. And I noticed the student left. And for me as a teacher, I started to just go into my head of like, "Uh Oh, what did did I do something wrong or all of this kind of stuff. And then I just, I knew that I had the support outside to, for them to check on it, but I had to then just come back to the room and, you know, make sure that everybody else was, was, that I was guiding everybody else. And then the student came up to me later and they said, hey, I just want you to know that I really appreciated your class, but I couldn't continue because he was dealing with so much guilt about how he was intoxicated and had his son in the truck, had an accident and his son was killed. And so he was like, you know, it started to touch on these things and I could only handle so much. And then I had to step away. And he goes, but it was, it, I helped me to identify I need to, I need to go into this work. And so what he ended up doing was, is he's like, I'm going to go into your online courses and I'm going to go deeper into it. But it helped him to see, you know, I think it's really important about, it's important to touch the pain. And then we have to take a break. And then maybe it's going back and it's about maybe touching, maybe releasing some of the pain. And then we have to take a break. So it's really allowing the student to see how much that they can do. And maybe it's like, this is all I can do today. I'm going to take the grief or the, the, the struggle. I'm going to put it in a little box. I'm going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to come back to it later. And it gives them the space to have the freedom and the empowerment to say, I need to step back here for my own well-being and to to just as a teacher say I support that fully. Beautiful. And I guess to change the topic again slightly COVID has had a massive impact on everything but especially on rituals of collective care around grief for example funerals being the most obvious example would you like to speak about this? Yeah, I you know I think that I think we've lost a sense of rituals within our society. I think that even within COVID, I remember how so many people had to experience funerals online and through Zoom. And I think that that can be really hard. So I I think one of the things that can happen through this pandemic is, is the importance of creating a personal ritual. And I think that there are many things that we can do to to have that in creating a personal ritual what i would invite someone to do is is to just designate a specific time and place to experience that type of a ritual and then to start to reflect on what are some actions that can symbolize what i'm feeling and w- what i'm going through another way that you can embody a private ritual can you can ring a bell at the beginning and at the end that will help you to kind of like enter that sacred space consciously maybe the creating the private ritual at home can be lighting a candle or saying a prayer or maybe reading an inspiring poem or or 
having a, a movement experience or or singing a song or playing music perhaps that private ritual can even be just writing a letter about your pain and struggle so i think that within this pandemic it can also share with us the importance of rituals and how we can create those private rituals for ourselves too have you noticed through this time more people are turning to these more ritualistic practices and creative practices and maybe using movement or using writing or using creativity in another way to process emotions where maybe in the past it would have been something that we talked about with a friend, which I guess we can still do, but I've just kind of noticed for myself that I have been much more focused on creativity as a self-care practice, but also as a way of like, oh, now I don't have all the social stuff. I've got this time and I've got this space, so I should really use it to create something. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, one of the things I'm fascinated with too is, is, is it possible to create something meaningful from the devastation? I'm remembering the quote that uh, Carrie Fisher said. She said, take your broken heart and make it into art. And so one of the things that that I have witnessed with others in creating a ritual is sometimes going into gratitude. Sometimes people will create a gratitude collage of things of that they remember of their loved one. A ritual could also be a personal ritual could be creating a little bit of space of a garden of hope. Like take for instance there were was an area where a student of mine had uh, a lot of weeds in a specific area. And there's a technique that I have in the grief yoga class called pulling up the weeds. And it's a physical embodiment of taking regrets and pulling them out. But she also wanted to take it further. And so she created a ritual of saying, I'm going to create this space in my backyard. And um, it was dedicated to her son who had passed away and she planted a picture of her son in the soil and she began the ritual by saying if there are any other regrets that i'm holding on to within the space i'd like to remove them here and she cleared that soil of all of those weeds that also reflected perhaps regrets she might be holding on to until it was a clear space of soil but still had the picture of her son there and so then she decided, let me plant seeds and flowers of everything that I remember that I'm thankful for. This flower is a, is a remembrance of us going to Disneyland and dancing with Goofy. The seed or this flower is, is, is to help me to remember his laugh. And so in that space of creating that ritual, she said, you know, she goes, when she walks out there now, she says, there's different colors of flowers that bloom. And she goes, it reminds me a little bit of all of the different colors of love that I had for my son. But it was also a, a reminder of me of the impermanence of life. You know, things are a seed, they grow, they blossom, and then they die. And just, just like in this life, and I recognize right now, right here, I'm still alive. And how can I make my life matter how can i make the love that i that i shared with them matter and so it's a little bit about how 
creating a ritual can be a helpful thing within loss. Oh, it's such a beautiful, powerful, growing metaphor. Mm, beautiful. Well, I guess we've got one more question that we ask at the end of all of our conversations. And I guess the question is, if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? <laughs> well, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, we save a nice easy one for last. <laughs> oh Everything you've learned in life, bring it down to one lesson. I, you know, I gosh, I think that going back to the whole place of that grief is just an expression of love and that in essence, you matter. Your, your voice matters. Your expression matters. Your grief matters and your love matters to share that with others. That's so beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing and everything that you've shared today. Yeah, and thank you. And thank you for writing such a wonderful and important book. So, yeah, it's great getting the chance to speak with you today. Thank you. And for any of this, you know, for anybody to support them in the book experience, anybody who goes to healingthroughyoga.com. There is an online companion course that's free for anybody who pre-orders the book. So it kind of gives the student a little bit of an experiential aspect that will help support them in their book experience. Oh, fantastic. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Paul Denniston. He's doing some important work and it was great getting the chance to speak with him. If you get a chance, get that book, Healing Through Yoga. If you'd like to send us any feedback or comments, you can via our website, podcast.flowartist.com. And you can find Joe and I on Instagram at Garden of Yoga and Ran Loves Yoga, respectively. Come and say hi. Our theme song is Baby Robots and is used with permission. Check it out at gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us. Aroha Mawa Kia Koto Katoa. Big, big love. Mm-hmm.